Welcome to Australian Hunger, I am your host Ben. I've got a really cool interview today because it's actually one of my first unsolicited interviews. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means. It's with The Ocean, also known as The Ocean Collective. Their recently released album, Phrenozoic 1, Paleozoic Part 1 of a three-part trilogy, which interestingly enough, the other two parts will both be released in 2020, I think in a single volume very interesting approach but i mean they're dealing with different ages aeons uh, geographical periods of the world so you know you've got to divide it up somehow and i guess that's just how they've chosen to divide it up um so yeah i mentioned that this interview was unsolicited and what i mean by that is generally with most bands i've interviewed i'll hear their music i'll say they're a cool band they've recently released something and i want to talk to them about it and I'll reach out, sometimes through their label, but most times just directly to them. I'll send them an email and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I do a podcast. Do you want to come on and have a chat about your release album? And generally they'll say yes, and thank you so much for them for agreeing to give up their time, and we'll have a chat about it. Not so much with the ocean and these kind of interviews. So I'm on a couple of media lists, which means I get sent press releases by PR people and labels. Some of them are emails saying, this band is available for interviews at these times which then means you can select a particular time and interview the band. Very different situation, because in this chain of events, you have no direct contact with the band until you're actually talking to them. Whereas otherwise, you'd actually directly set it up with the band at a, some other time, not some designated time which you have to choose between. And it's a really different experience. So it's a little bit more freewheeling when you're interviewing a band, which you've um, solicited them specifically. But when it's unsolicited, you've only got a specific set of time, usually about 20 minutes, which is far less than most of the bands I interview. Most I like to go for about 40 minutes. That enables me to get through all my questions. Um, and in kind of way, it's a little bit annoying because it's restrictive. It means that it means that you can't ask all your questions. It means that there's topics you have to cut away. And that's not necessarily the way I like to do things. You know, it probably would be better if I cut my interviews a little bit more, edit them a little bit more so they'd be a bit more... I know, digestible, but that, that's not really the show that I'm interested in doing it, so I, that's not the show I do. I do the show I want to do it. But there is definitely a, a benefit for doing an interview with an unsolicited band. So although sometimes they're a bit weary of being asked the same questions a lot, a lot, a lot, it also means that they're used to being interviewed, and they're generally a bit better at being interviewed. No offense to any of the bands I've been interviewing. I love them because they're natural, and that's really what I'm getting at. But they've probably been asked the same question over and over again, so they've developed a really clear, concise answer to it. Um, they're generally, you know, better talkers just because just of natural development. I mean, it's one of the interesting things that I ask people on here to be interviewed, and they're not professional being interviewed pe- peoples, you know, that's not their job. Their their job is to play music, basically. So you kind of an interesting situation. Whereas the people who uh, organise through the labels and is, have lots and lots of interviews all over the world, they've done this a lot, a lot of times. So they've got a lot of practice and they've gotten quite good at it. Some of them, some of them aren't as good. And you know, it's an interesting question in itself. But no, it, it is interesting. Very, very different experience between those two things. And although I definitely prefer having as much time as possible to talk to the band and ask all my questions no matter how sometimes uh minute they are the the fact that you have to only ask 20 minutes worth of questions does mean it's the interview's a bit tighter it's a little bit more you're asking the best questions uh, hoping to get the best answers so i mean if you were hoping to produce a more tight show then those are definitely the people you'd go for because just the nature of it forces you to 
sort of be a better interview in a kind of way. And I mean that in a more, in a, just a way that's, it's, it's, it's tighter, it's more interesting. And anyway, regardless of how I feel about different types of interviews, Robin Stamps, who I interviewed from the ocean, really good. I've talked to him before, back when I think he was touring Australia. I think it might have been in 2015. Actually, one of the first people I interviewed ever. I interviewed like five people the first year I was doing interviews. And yeah, he was one of the first ones. So it's kind of interesting how it's come around like that. But regardless, uh, Ferenozoic 1, Paleozoic, Robin Stamps of the Ocean. I play two songs in the interview. The first one is... Cambrian 2, Eternal Recurrence, and the one at the end is Permian, The Great Dying. Let's start off with the album. Um, so you released uh, Pelagian in 2013. When did you start working on this one? Um, the new record has pretty much been written over the course of the past couple of summers um, since 2014. So yeah, 2014, 2015, and uh, a small part uh, still in 2016. Uh, I, I can't write when I'm on tour or when I'm at home, so I always uh, retreat to a to a house uh, near the ocean in Spain uh, over the summer months, and this is when most of the writing happens. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's really interesting. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by the kind of things people do. Like, some people just kind of write. Some people need to really get in a kind of zone to get the best out of what they're doing. What is, what is it about that environment that is where you write your material? Um. I don't know. I can't really ride when I'm in my usual comfort zone just because there's so many distractions. And you know, I live in Berlin. It's a massive city with 4 million inhabitants. And, you know, there's always like <laughs> friends and the Internet and gigs. And uh, I just can't really find the the peace of mind to really put myself in that zone. So I, I really need to take myself out to a place where there is no distractions and where i'm surrounded by nature and not just looking at the next building 20 meters away so um yeah that's it just works for me much better when um when i'm somehow close to nature and especially to the ocean it's just such an inspiring thing somehow so that every time i get to this place it takes me only a couple of hours and and ideas start floating basically you know um so it's yeah it's it's very much related to where we are and um, and the, the the immediate environment, and that's partially also why we decided to start recording this record in Iceland uh, this year. The idea was that it's, it's a cold, kind of like rough record, and we wanted to uh, put ourselves in an environment that is kind of like fitting for that, uh, you know, for that particular type of sound that we were after, and that's why we decided to go to Iceland to start tracking drums there. Uh, that was the first stage in the process that was the making of this record. And this first uh, stage always very much has an impact on the actual outcome of the record and the sound of the record. And yeah, that's why we why we went to Iceland and it was the best choice we could have made. What a beautiful studio there, uh, built by the guys in Sigur Ross. It was like a frozen waterfall right behind the studio. And we were just like really in in nature out there and uh then easily reach that stage where everything just goes very very smooth 
between uh, Paul, the drummer, and myself and the engineer who recorded the drums. Yeah, it's really interesting the kind of sort of aspects beyond just the equipment you're using, like how all these different things really impact kind of the, the performance. Um, you released a few albums already that are complementary to each other, Fluxian, Aeolian, uh, Heliocentric and Anthropocentric. Why, why did you choose to release an album, uh, two volumes of, 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 a, of, a, of a piece, this album and the next album that's going to follow? I think I have this strange fascination for duality <laughs> somehow, like you said, like all of our records have always had these like two sides to them, um, you know, where they were like uh, kind of like thesis and antithesis in a way uh fluxion aeolian and precambrian was actually a double record as well with two discs and then uh, heliocentric anthropocentric and this new record now uh, as well it actually comes in three parts but that's only going to be released in two separate albums so the first part is phenerozoic one paleozoic and then the second part is phenerozoic two mesozoic and cenozoic but altogether it's three eras in earth's history that these records are kind of like uh uh tackling so yeah i I don't really know why i have this uh desire to do that i guess one reason is that um by the time we're ready to enter the studio there's always more material written than what can fit on a single record and especially this time uh people's attention span is so short these days we didn't want to overload uh you know our audience with like two and a half hours of music released at once when everyone is literally only listening to the first like five or six tracks anyway. So that was like part of the reason why we decided to split it up again in two separate volumes. The other thing is that stylistically with all of these double albums we've released, it's always been quite diverse material. And I always felt that it's a better idea to kind of split it up. So with Fluxion and Aeolian, uh, the heavier, faster songs ended up on Aeolian, and the more orchestral songs ended up on Fluxion. And um, with this new record, it was kind of like that as well. The first half of it is very stripped down to the the bare musical ideas. It's very riff focused and kind of like slow and and yeah, like it, it feels a little bit uh, reduced uh, as compared to our previous record, Pelagial, which was really overloaded with ideas, you know, and complexity. And uh, the second half, Paleozoic 2, that's going to be released sometime in 2020, is more elaborate somehow. It's more intricate. It's um, more complex songs. And stylistically, it's also a little different from the first part as well. So, yeah, that's the, that's the, the other thing that there's always – like this band is comprising a fairly large stylistic range. And uh, I always – find it more interesting to somehow split that up to records rather than to mix it all together within, you know, the context of one record. I read that this sort of is meant to fit the gap between uh, Precambrian and Heliocentric and Anthropocentric. Talk a little bit about how that works kind of thematically or, or musically. Um, well, Phenerozoic is the uh, next consecutive eon in Earth's history after the Precambrian. And um, Heliocentric was kind of the record that marked the arrival of 
humanity, if you want. So, like, the, the first song, Firmament, starts off with original text from the Bible. So, there was this gap between Precambrian, which we released in 2007, um, and heliocentric. And we wanted to somehow fill that gap, both musically and conceptually. Um, musically, Precambrian was kind of like uh, the last record of the old ocean, if you want. So it's uh, we, we've had a totally different lineup back then. We've had a different vocalist, or actually a number of vocalists singing on that record. Heliocentric, which came out three years later, was the first record that Luik, our current vocalist, sang on. And I think he really uh, transformed uh, the, the path of this band in the coming years and the, the, the albums that followed. So we wanted to somehow make a record that reconciles the old ocean with the new ocean and that re that reconciles or like bridges the gap between Precambrian and Heliocentric. And I feel that this new record um, is doing that. And that was uh, one of my initial thoughts when I was actually listening to the pre-productions because they had this Precambrian vibe. Uh, they're kind of like uh, these really heavy riffs and this this rough overall vibe to it is, is very Precambrian-ish, if you want. So, But then uh, with Luik singing over it, um, you know, it, it's, it has the feel of the contemporary ocean more than uh, what, what the band was back then. So, yeah, we, we were listening to this material and then thinking that this is what this album is, is going to be, probably. Um, and, yeah, that's why we ended up there uh, both musically and, and conceptually somehow.
speaking mm-hmm. of the conceptual aspects, like one thing that's really interesting about your band is you talk about stuff that a lot of bands you know aren't really kind of inputting inserting to their music uh, concepts of um earth's geology really kind of dry stuff but you really sort of bring it to life um talk about how that's kind of continued to be interesting to you sort of as the bands go gone on in its lifetime yeah i always end up with these prehistoric uh <laughs> images somehow when i when i actually listen to the music that i write it, it just uh what comes to to mind or what what I see in front of my inner eye is usually uh, grand images of nature, you know, like raging stormy seas or outbreaking volcanoes or whatever. It just seems like appropriate uh, visual metaphory for the type of music that we're doing. It it just fits very well, you know, and uh, that's, I think that's how I initially ended up with the idea to, to make Precambrian. And uh, now it was kind of like that again. When when I was listening to the pre-productions, I was like, "Yeah, this really has that vibe." And it's it just uh, it, it's like a bit of like a reverse soundtrack. You know, the music is there first, and then we try to visualize the music, and then we always end up with these prehistoric landscapes. And yeah, yeah it just seems like the right fit for this type of music, I guess. Talking a little bit about you coming down to play here uh, next year. How did you get involved with uh, the Progfest that you're going to be headlining? Um, well, Progfest is run by the or like the, the agent that brought us over for our previous two Australian tours, uh, Wild Thing Records uh, and Wild Thing Booking. They're also licensing our new album now for the record label that they just started. And um, yeah, we've been talking to them for a long time. We were aware of Procfest and I told Ellie the last time that we'd be super excited uh, to to do that. And this time, the timing was right. We have a new record out and... Um, and we know exactly what we're letting ourselves in for because we've worked with the guys before. They're really great, hardworking people, and they, you know, they have helped build up this band in Australia a fair bit. And so we're very excited to come over now uh, as part of Procfest, um, and yeah, hopefully play to an audience that also consists of some people that ha- haven't seen us live before. So that's that's very very cool. There's also going to be some extra sideshows to be announced. Uh, fairly soon i think so it's not just going to be sydney melbourne and brisbane there's going to be i think two more shows as well oh that's really really exciting um yeah i've seen you guys before and it's um definitely really excited to see you guys come down to melbourne um when you guys play live like there's a lot of different aspects to your music uh, this is kind of a weird question that I like to ask people and, you know, bear, bear with me. But, like, when you're playing live, what, what are you trying to do? What, what's your aim when you're playing live? Um, immersion <laughs> for ourselves and for the, the audience, I guess. Like, um, we're trying to, uh, like, get ourselves into the zone and the people that watch the show as well and to immerse them in, in, in this like, uh, yeah, this, this ocean of sound that we create. I've always been intrigued by bands that uh, kind of suck you into their cosmos from the beginning to the end of the show and don't let you out in between, you know, that don't disrupt the the thing it is that, that it is that they're doing by like talking to the crowd or interacting, but they just start a, a show and then it's, it, it finishes like an hour and a half later and in between you don't have time to breathe. And that's, I think what subliminally uh, I've also always tried to do with, um, with the ocean. It's uh, 
yeah, it's 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 ideally if it works out, and it doesn't always work out. I can tell you that. But if it does work out, then it's a bit of a trance state, you know, both for us as musicians as for the crowd. We see that because uh, the crowd usually doesn't see much of us because we have all this backlight. But that means that the light is actually shining into the crowd, so we see their faces, but they can't see us. <laughs> so that's good. But a lot of times you just see people with closed eyes, and it, you know, it's uh, if, if you. Uh, turn off the music entirely and would just film them and you would get this uh, impression that people are in a trance so that's like ideally how uh, how it can work out but obviously that depends on uh, a lot of factors you have to let yourself in for that both as a musician as well as uh, if you're in the crowd and um, if sound and, and lighting and everything has to just be spot on and perfect, you know, if, if something is, isn't really sounding well or if there's technical issues, then uh, it doesn't usually work out that well. But in the best case scenario, it does. Mm-hmm. No, I can, I can definitely relate to that kind of experience as an audience member. Last question. Uh, you fresh referenced Friedrich Nietzsche uh, multiple times in the past. Like, what, what is it about him and his writings that interests you? He's very powerful with words. I just really love how he uses words to, uh, well, to manipulate people if he wants or to uh, to get his point across. I think he's more of a more of a novelist really than a philosopher. You know, he's, his his philosophy isn't really scientific in a way, but he, it's it's very very powerful uh, metaphor metaphor that he uses for getting his points across. And I've always been intrigued by that, even as a 15 or 16 year old when I was first exposed to him. And um, yeah, he's a diehard uh, uh, criticizer of Christianity, which uh, I am as well. <laughs> and uh, we've made that the, the, the topic of two of our records in the past, heliocentric and anthropocentric. So obviously, when you discuss Christianity and, and Christian religion, then you can't get around Friedrich Nietzsche. So he's been very present in the lyrics of those two records. And uh, now on the new record, uh, as well, the first track, Cambrian, uh, Eternal Recurrence, that is an old Nietzschean, Nietzsche idea. Uh, eternal recurrence is the idea that things happen over and over again, no matter if you look at uh, your own lifespan or as uh, at Earth's history, as in our case here, uh, you will find countless evidence for that, like uh, continents colliding and drifting apart and colliding again and, and um, you know, coral reefs going extinct, but then flaring back up in other parts of the planet etc so everything is happening over and over again and that's uh, an idea that nietzsche has not invented but very strongly promoted eternal recurrence is something you find in all of his writings but the idea itself is actually as old as humanity it was found in old uh, hinduistic writings uh, the old egyptians had it and then it somehow sank into oblivion a bit with the arrival of the Occident because uh, the Christians, again, didn't really like the idea of uh, eternal recurrence, which involves some some element of, of uh, arbitrariness and chance. And that didn't really comply with the idea of one unique creation, you know, created by one unique God. So they uh, they didn't like it. And Nietzsche brought it back. And he was very fond of that idea. And this is kind of like... A, yeah, kind of like a topic not only for the first track of the record, but something that reoccurs throughout the album. It's an album about time and perception of time and um, and recurrence and uh, the fact that there are things that happen in our lives that we can't really change and that will happen again and again and again. And how do we how do we deal with that? That's kind of like the uh, yeah, kind of like the red thread that goes a little bit through this first 
record, Fenrozoic One Paleozoic.
was Permian, The Great Dying, and the track in the middle was Cambrian 2, Eternal Recurrence, both from the oceans Phanerozoic, one Paleozoic. Um, thanks again for Robin Stamps for taking the time to talk to me. Before I finish off this episode, I want to recommend an album that was released just the other week. It is The Blink of Our Constance by Enneferens, a one-man metal band from Minneapolis, Minnesota in the United States. And it's really, really cool. Right up my alley, so this atmospheric black gaze, you know, this combination of all these kind of alternate forms of black metal that I'm really a big fan of. But where I think it really, really tops itself, and I haven't yet gone back and listened to his previous work, but when I mean top itself, it really is a shining example of this genre, is because not only is it oh, have all the hallmarks of this particular style of black metal atmosphere and beauty to it it also has progressive aspects which you just don't find enough in this kind of music almost sometimes i felt like it was a black metal cousin of opeth in a certain way definitely not to opeth's particular high standing of the particularly those first records i mean like maybe first six or eight records it would have been but it, it had a flavor of it. It definitely had a flavor of it. So I definitely recommend you check it out. The Bleak Thou Constant by N.F. Ferenz. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for an interview with Grezvik and Shallow Grave. Interview that I just finished, actually. Really, really good talking to those guys. And I hope you enjoy your weekend.